places, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races, going nowhere, going nowhere, the tears are filling up their glasses, no expression, no expression, hide my head, I wanna drown my sorrow, no tomorrow, no tomorrow, and I can't find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had, I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take, when people run in circles, it's a very, very bad world. Bad world. Hello, and welcome to Bard Talk, my lovelies. I'm your host, Josh, and I'm coming at you once again with a podcast specifically on things I'm almost sure you don't know. Many of you may know these kind of things, and so it won't be much of a surprise, but I'm going to cover a couple topics that I think people um, generally don't understand. You know, uh, school has left a lot to be desired um, for most people. We get out of school, and the real world seems to elude us, but damn it if we don't know, like, you know, Planck's constant or whatever. So without further ado, let's just dive right in. And the first thing on the list is utilities. You know, it's kind of funny that um, in my 30s now, and I'm only kind of just sort of getting a grasp of how utilities work. Uh, for I think for the longest time, I just assumed it was magic. I don't know. I Sometimes you don't want to think about it. Now, I had spent six months of my life, oh, geez, my late 20s. Six months, uh, I, maybe I was 29. I was cusper, almost 30. But I worked for a utility company, uh, a wastewater utility company, um, one of the largest in North America, certainly one of the biggest on the Northeast. Um, and you learn a lot of stuff about wastewater. So let's start right there. First of all, there are two kinds. Um, generally, people either have a septic system or they're hooked into what's formally, kind of informally known as city, city water, city sewer. Um, and listen, I got bad news for both of them. So let's start off with probably the most common, which is a septic system. And it'll tie into the other thing. Cause basically if you live in a remote location where there isn't uh, city water treatment, town water treatment, uh, chances are you have to fend for your own. And that means you have either one of these two things or both of them in most cases both of them and that is a well and a septic system and uh before you get that gasp that i feel like you're going to get yes you are both depositing your wastewater into the ground and withdrawing your drinking water but they're vastly different and i'll take the moment here to explain so septic systems come in a variety of forms because they have changed the standards so many times and the most earliest form was just a common cistern uh basically you would dig down 20 30 feet in some cases and you would create like a big like an urn almost um with rocks 
and you wouldn't fill in the gaps of the rocks. You would allow the bottom portion to be more solid and then the upper portion would have much bigger gaps um, it just just enough closing in so that you know you wouldn't let the back fill in um, and they would use pretty common rocks um, just whatever was in the area shale limestone whatever they had to create these cisterns and the idea was that the liquid would sit in the bottom and build up sediment and then up top the liquid would drain out so most of your solids went to the bottom and just began forming a, I don't know what you want to call it but like basically poop mud um, and gray water mud and then the rest of the stuff would leach out the top these were you can only find these on very 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 old houses where the the town hasn't come in and said hey you got to get rid of that i in fact the entire time that i worked at the wastewater company i only ran into that once most of what people have is the next iteration which is a cistern with a drain field um similar concept only usually the tank is a solid material it's um Either, you know, if they had a lot of money and it's very large concrete or some type of plastic holding tank in the ranges of a thousand to two thousand gallons buried in the yard. And then towards the top of it, um, maybe three, four feet below the surface of the ground, you would run a drain field pipe. So just a piece of plastic that would run out and then it would have branch pipes. All of that would be perforated so that the liquids would go out into the yard and the solids would stay in the tank. Now, the early cisterns without said drain field, I don't know that they ever had a plan to dig those out. I think the idea was that you would just fill up multiple ones. I don't really know. Um, but for sure, uh, the idea with the latter one is that you would have it pumped out um, once a year or biannually uh, to ensure that, you know, you didn't have a backup. And then the, most of the water, the, the gray water and what have you, would kind of get treated by bacteria in the holding tank itself before going to the drain field and then exiting out into your yard. You can, if you drive through... Um, more farmland like areas like where I live you'll notice a certain part of yards that are very green very lush um, this is usually a drain field it's very indicative that they have a septic system and if it's really bad it means their drain field is broken like if they have a wet yard it means that somewhere along that pipe there is a significant fissure or crack and their drain fields kaput and in a lot of cases, if you're going to buy that house and you get a home inspection, if they notice a wet yard, that's game over. They, they have to fix that before they sell the house or they can't assume like a specialty mortgage, like an FDA loan or a loan from the government to buy the house. It would have to be a traditional mortgage with a certain amount of money down and then with the codes department in that township, you would have to ensure that that was fixed at some point. Uh, either before you moved in or shortly after. It, it depends on the codes department. Um, the most modern version of this, the one that they install most often now, is called a sand mound type system. In which case, they do away with the traditional 1,000, 2,000 gallon holding tank in favor of a 500 gallon holding tank. And then directly connected to that is a 500 gallon pump tank 
Again, the idea is that you cultivate healthy bacteria in your holding tank. It breaks down most of the the hard the hard disposable things. I, I, I don't want to say turds repeatedly, but we know what I'm talking about, right? Toilet paper, turds, all that kind of stuff. Then it goes to the pump tank where it's supposed to be a much more liquid form. And then the pump tank pumps it out to a sand mound, which is exactly what it is. Uh, they, they excavate a little bit of your yard. They fill it in with um, a sandbag, essentially uh, encased in some sort of wrapper. And the wrapper is usually kind of like a tarpaulin-like material, fiberglass type material. And then they, they cover over uh, with earth and grass. They put some vent pipes on. Generally, these sand mounds, if not disturbed, like if you don't have an idiot run his four-wheel drive truck over them, they last about a decade. Um, some people will say 15, 20 years. I, I think they're warranted for a decade in most cases. And it's it's a big inconvenience because after that time, you got to dig that sandbag up. That sandbag has to be properly disposed of. And then you put a new one in and the process will continually repeat itself, which makes owning a septic system extremely expensive in the modern era. So if you were going to go build your house in farmland, and you were going to require a septic system for wastewater disposal, uh, expect a pretty hefty fee um, for that alone. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon for, depending on the land type that you have, the kind of soil they're going to encounter, whether you're not on a slope or whether you're on flat ground, like all of this plays into it and the cost can range from eight to $20,000. On the extreme other end, and I do want to say extreme other end because people, when when I tell them that most rural places have septic systems and then ground wells, I, sometimes they make that connection and they're like, ew, but it's, it's totally different. So with a ground well, you have to pay a, a drilling company to come in, not dissimilar to, to an oil drilling company or a natural grass drilling company. Uh, what they have to do is they have to locate the best spot, the most convenient spot in your yard for a well. Um, it does have to be a good distance away from your septic system if you have one. And then they're going to actually drill way deeper than a septic system will ever go. I mean, to start off, they have to get through basically what they call the, the Earth's crust. So they're going underneath all the dirt, they're going to run into a line of gravel, clay, and then they're going to hit boulders, and then beyond that, they're going to find bedrock. And bedrock is exactly what it sounds. Um, they drill into the bedrock until they find an actual um, underground spring. And they're everywhere. They're, they're all over the place. It, it is without fail most places on the earth. If you drill into bedrock, you're going to hit a spring. These springs are fed by uh, natural rainwater runoff that is filtered through hundreds of feet of earth. Um, and then there are also just giant pockets of fresh water under the ground. Um, I, I do suppose in some cases you, you might have to drill multiple wells. Um, there's an instance where you could hit one and it might feed your, your house for 50 years and then dry up. Um, and they do get contaminated. Uh, you're supposed to have them tested annually. Um, 
you can always send samples out and 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 find out like if if something changes if people start getting sick it's a good idea to start right there with your well and and they're also electric so if you own a well and your power goes out you're not going to have any water it's not like city water that continues to run like you will be out of water i think that probably is another reason that owning an old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere is is, is a drawback because of the well. Um, I, I've known people who have had wells, and in rare instances, they, they live in farming communities, and the, the pesticides or runoff from, from agriculture seep into the well. It's, it's usually taken care of by the farmer's insurance. Um, and in the case I know of specifically, it was an Amish community, and the, the Amish people are self-insured through their church, so uh, they, they recognized what happened immediately and had all the wells tested in the neighborhood, found out that, yes, it was contaminated, had the, the groundwater shocked, which is basically a fancy way of saying that they dumped a bunch of chemicals in them, and then paid everybody for the cost, paid anybody for redrilling a well in case, you know, in the cases that, that the water was too contaminated. Um, and it's expensive. I mean, don't get me wrong. Well drilling is, is a lot. There's some pretty good videos on YouTube if you're super interested in the process, but that is how that works. So uh, a lot of people say that well water is good for bathing, um, cleaning things, not so good for drinking. I have a well and a septic system. Um, I know for a fact my my septic system is in good working order because before I moved in it was something I had to take care of and, and in addition to that I know the well's good because the well was tested a couple times. Um, my well I think goes down 394 feet or 390 some odd feet whereas you know my septic system out back doesn't go down more than 20. Uh, big difference it's a big difference in the water tables and in the world. Uh, that said, I filter my water. Uh, it's filtered coming into the house, and then I run everything through uh, Brita filters or Pure filters after that. I don't drink anything straight from the tap in most cases. I mean, come on, we all get lazy and drink from the tap, but for the most part, I do not do that. One of the benefits is I don't have any chlorine in my water at all. None. Zip. Zilch. I, I'm drinking water straight from bedrock, so... It is filtered by natural minerals, compression, heat, um, you know, the earth. It's, it's about as natural as one can get. Whereas when you get city water, I'm going to go into that now if you think this part was gross. Ah, sorry. I actually need a drink of water. So here's the deal with city water. Um, if you thought the whole septic well thing was a little bit grody... I, this one's really going to hit you. If you use city water, you are part of, of one of the greatest recycling uh, adventures mankind has ever done. Uh, we realized early on that fresh water was in very limited supply, and so we had to look after it. And thus we do. So the journey of uh, a city water source or a communal water source starts with your tap. You turn on the water, water comes out. That water is either drank or consumed by you or used to clean things or, or whatever. All of that is classified into two 
categories, septage and gray water. Gray water is just water used to clean with. So that's water that, that generally is treated with um, cleaners, uh, shower gels, soaps. There's, it, you couldn't drink it. It's definitely a hazardous material as far as the environment's concerned because of the caustic nature of it. Um, but it isn't as, as, as gross smelling as straight septage. Septage is toilet white wastewater. It is, it is bodily fluids, um, and they are not separated going into uh, the city sewer. It goes into one pipe, it all goes into your septage pipes, and septage as a whole goes and gets classified as a single, a single source waste. Septage usually travels to a water treatment plant. Once it arrives at the water treatment plant via pumps and, and gravity, it is then put into a holding tank where all of the solids are strained out of it. So they get all, every solid bit out of it, all of the, the toilet paper, the, the waste solids, anything else that would make its way down your toilet or drains, that all gets filtered out. And then what you have left is, is just straight septage water. That water is then filtered through micron particle sized filters and then treated with various chemicals including chlorine including ammonia um, and basically it's brought back to a chemical form that is as close to straight h2o as they can get it that h2o then gets pumped directly back into your house in the form of fresh water um, it is, it, it, there are standards. I think the water utility industry is one of the most heavily regulated industries there are probably close second to, uh, the nuclear, nuclear industry or airline industry or elder care industry. I mean, it's the quality control you have to have to treat septage and, and turn it into fresh water is incredible and they test for bacteria and parasites and viruses and the entire process is very time consuming it's not like that for every ounce of water you send down the drain you're not going to see it for months i mean it's it's literally that extensive and then if you don't live in one of the major cities all of the solids that come out of your your residential water treatment plant then get pumped out by a septic truck and that septic truck takes the the solids in the form of a slurry so they backfill that with just a little bit of water to make it into uh, uh i don't know a, a mixture similar to applesauce i guess is <laughs> i just ruined applesauce for everybody that's hilarious it's true though. It's it's a little thinner than applesauce, and then it gets pumped out, and then it goes to one of the the major um, water treatment plants. New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, um, major cities have these types of water treatment plants that further extract any amount of moisture until it gets to a very chalky white powder substance, and then that substance is mixed again with a little bit of, of, of fresh water and then put onto a slurry truck and that slurry truck goes out into the farmlands and that's used as fertilizer uh, all up and down the east coast of North America and I assume probably the west coast as well. 
So every ounce of sewer water that you produce is used to the very last drop. I mean, it, there's nothing left behind. It's quite the incredible recycling operation, if, if you will. Um, of course, uh, tap water is, is not inherently safe, um, especially city tap water. We have instances, um, real recent where, you know, the tap water is, is being mixed with some type of methane, whether through cracks in the sewer infrastructure in these older cities or through, uh, changes in, in, in the way they treat it. It's hard to say. Um, I think generally it's a breakdown of the infrastructure. So the pipes get very old, you get shifting in plates, you get different things going on. Like I know in Pennsylvania, fracking is a big deal. And in, in, in the case of fracking, they're actually finding that a lot of people's well water is, is coming up with a little bit of methane and, and people are lighting their taps on fire up in, in rural parts of Northwestern Pennsylvania. Then you have the whole Flint, Michigan crises where, you know, in that, that area and, and certainly areas like it, um, they, they have, uh, lead mains and the amount of lead seeping into the city water is at catastrophe levels. And it's, it's completely unsafe to drink their, their entire infrastructure in the Midwest, as far as city water is in serious danger. And of course the upgrades to it are ridiculously expensive. I mean, you're talking about digging up every street, every connection to every house and replacing that pipe, that lead pipe with, uh, with steel or, or some amalgamation of that, uh, in some cases, fiberglass, uh, and it's expensive and, and it's, it's weird. Um, a lot of utilities are under city control and, and then a lot of utilities are public control, or I should say privately owned. I worked for one of the absolute largest wastewater, freshwater distributors in North America. And they're villainized on a regular basis because they, they will move into an area where they were paying their local municipality, you know, maybe a hundred dollars, $80 a month for water and sewer. And, and within months after them taking over, their bill would double or triple and it was literally because we were coming in and having to replace all the infrastructure. It, it, it really wasn't an evil corporate grab to, to own, own a utility and make a ton of money. Of course, that is their goal as a private entity is to make a lot of money. But they also have to repair um, the damage done by a public utility. And, and, and the problem, I, I talk about this all the time, is the, the government has zero net money. They, they do not make money. They don't sell a product. They don't have any product. So all of government's money comes from taxes, which comes from you and I. And unfortunately, we're supposed to elect people who are going to use that money responsibly. And part of that is budgeting for these departments. And unfortunately, the water department is one of those departments that a lot of communities will skimp on. Uh, Flint, Michigan, or a lot of parts in the Midwest, they never allocated the kind of money they needed to make repairs to their systems. And so their systems continued to, to decline. Um, and it's no different in the Northeast. In honesty, um, we have a lot of the same issues. 
uh, the, the city I live closest to still has wooden mains from the turn of the century in some cases. And I, I guess as a side note, just to bring this into a lighter discussion, if, if you're wondering about that, wooden mains were, were very common. Um, they would hollow out trees and, and, and then also construct larger mains out of plank wood. And then, of course, that's where the, we got the term fire plug because the fire department would bust out a map of the wooden mains and then they had a little bore. They would bore down into the ground, bore into the wooden main, and then the, they'd put their little pump over it, hook their pump into it, usually a hand pump. And when they were done, they would put a cork plug into the main and bury it back up. And that's where you get the term fire plug from. I know nobody cares about that, but I always find that kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, that, that wooden infrastructure needed to be replaced too. Um, I think in the Northeast, they're more, more accustomed to allocating taxes for that kind of stuff. And they're not as stingy. Uh, A lot of, a lot of the local cities maintain their municipal water supplies and they do a pretty good job. Um, but you know, in, in cases where they don't, and I know there's a town, uh, across a major highway from where I live, their their water treatment plant has suffered suffered for probably the better part of 50 years um, with unsafe water conditions, boil advisories constantly. Like they just could not, they could not seem to find the money to upgrade or maintain the infrastructure they had. And they continually let it go, and then it was bought out by a private company. And the first thing the private company did was like triple everybody's water bill and that was that was to to pay for the upgrades now they have the upgrades they haven't had a boil advisory since i don't know the the company took over everybody's water flow improved the the hydrants in the area improved um everything everything was great except for these people now pay a car payment in their water bill and of course that's never going to go down why would it um because they're going to have to make the next upgrade. But that that unfortunately is the case with your water bill. So then so then you have to deal with your electric. And this is another one. I, I just find it really fascinating that people don't know this. But people will get an electric bill. I'm just going to say uh, in my area we have MedEd. Which is short for Metropolitan Edison. And yes, that is indeed the Edison you're thinking of. Um, a little bit further down the main line, you'll find Pico. And I'm sure that there are, are many, many other companies that use Edison or, or some variation of that in their name. Uh, I think New York has a famous Edison one, but I can't remember what New York's power supply is. Anyways, so you get a bill from them. And that is because they own all of the transmission lines in the area. Um, when I when I first moved into this area, and I don't mean like me as an adult, I mean me as a wee, a wee laddie. I moved into this area and it was GPU. And then Med Edison uh, or Med Ed ended up purchasing GPU. And, and there they have it. Uh, I lived in areas that had Pico. Uh, and Pico is a Philadelphia power supply company. Well, and power supply is kind of the wrong word. Pico is, they own the transmission lines. And genuinely, 
I, I do mean this as as a matter of fact. When you get a bill, you're getting a bill um, from the transmission that. Uh, supplier so they own all the poles they own the wire on the poles they own the very large um, high voltage poles they own the transformers they maintain the transformers in fact the only option you have is to select who generates the electricity you buy and I go through a company called Greenleaf uh, Greenleaf in the area is a company that sources 80% of their electricity through natural sources. So hydro, wind, mostly solar. Um, there's a big solar base in Muhlenberg where they have just just acres and acres of solar panels. Um, and then they back that up with a little bit of coal. Um, or I believe they've switched over from coal. They're now entirely natural gas. So it's like 20% natural gas and then 80% natural resources. And, and anybody can do that. You can call up your electrical supplier, the transmission supplier, and ask them um, to get a list of people who you can get your source energy from. Uh, if, I, if I could, I would totally source it from nuclear power. I, I've made no bones about it. I'm a big supporter of nuclear power. I think that that is the way to go in earnest. Um, but it's not an option for me, and so I chose the next best one. I pay marginally more per kilowatt hour um, than if I were to go to a coal source. Uh, coal is absolutely the cheapest electric you can buy, especially in my area, in Pennsylvania, in coal country. Uh, natural gas is right there, too. You can get your energy source from natural gas if, if that's your, your wanting, and it's, and it's super cheap. Um, do I pay a whole lot more? Uh, you know, probably in the realm of eight to twelve dollars more a month to source my stuff from the natural resources. And you probably think to yourself, well, that's a scam because they're getting it for free. Well, they they are and they aren't. They have to maintain the infrastructure for all of that natural supply so they have to continually upgrade their solar panels. They have to maintain that grid. They have to maintain the batteries the solar power um, charges which then distributes the electricity um, the air all of the windmills that they have they have to maintain and those things aren't cheap um, so there's a big cost for being ethical um, in sourcing your electricity but I think it's important that that you know that like that the lines that you see are owned by one company whereas the electricity transmitted over those lines, um, not so much. And, and I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really make a lot of sense that like one type of energy is getting transmitted through the line to my house and then my neighbor's getting a different type. My guess is there's a percentage grid. So MetEd owns the transformers, the control switches for their lines. And for the customers who source their energy, they have to distribute what they pay the electrical suppliers for. And so my bill really amounts to a percentage of electricity that they have to pay out. So they own the transmission lines. The electrical companies send them a bill for producing electricity for those electrical lines. And then 
it's it's distributed and they just pay out percentages as as people are customers of that would be my guess i don't really know i tried to do some digging before this podcast to figure out exactly how that worked um because you know it's not like it's not like a, a, tr- a power line comes from a solar panel and goes into my house directly like my my electricity is mixed in with everybody else's electricity it's really just how MedEd sees fit to distribute the grid. They give you the option to buy your electricity from a supplier based off of your wants and needs, period. Um, and and I like I said, it's electricity. It's, it's just how it's generated. If everybody in my area switched over to this ethical, natural source of electricity... I would imagine that that electrical generating company couldn't meet the need Um, and and vice versa. I think if everybody went coal because it was super cheap, I don't think coal could support the need solely. So MedEd kind of relies on as many electrical generating areas or, or companies as they can to produce the power that they transmit on their lines. That would be my guess. Um, it's hard. That's kind of trade secret stuff, and it's difficult to dig up. And I'm sure the FBI is wondering why the hell I'm looking into energy grids so much. Like, I probably got flagged for the next couple of months to figure out what the hell I was doing. And hey, if my FBI is listening to this, I hope you enjoy it, bud. I do this for you. Mwah. All right, moving right along. <laughs> Communications are, are similar. So. This is where everybody gets excited and heated and and there's a lot of ire drawn over this subject. So there are a lot of instances where communication lines are run on the same poles as electricity. Usually if you look up at a telephone pole, the midpoint of the pole, the lower hanging wires are all your communication lines. And those communication lines um, they have to rent the pole space from MedEd or whatever your electrical supplier is. So that gets factored into your bill. There are also instances where they have their own poles. In fact, a lot of instances that communication lines are run on complete separate telephone lines. And I know you're probably wondering like, well, Josh, you didn't go into the underground lines. Underground lines are found mostly in the city or in developments. And that grid, again, is run and owned a lot by the, the electrical distributor. So again, MedEd, Pico, whomever. Um, and those lines are usually mixed together. Um, and the person that maintains them is usually the electrical company. In the instances where you do have open air poles, it can be a mixture of both. Um, and oftentimes communication in more rural areas will run on that midline. It's the lowest hanging wires on the telephone pole are your communication lines. And communication would be your phone lines, your, your cable lines. Um, in all honesty, unless you get into some real remote outcrops, it's going to be cable. It's going to be fiber optic. Um, K- even cable has switched over almost entirely to fiber optic. Um I don't know that anybody runs straight telephone lines. I am, I'm willing to guess I could be wrong, but I think at this point it's all, it's all kind of fiber optic. 
Fiber optic can be through Verizon. Verizon has a huge network of fiber optic. Um, Xfinity Comcast, Time Warner, and then you have a bunch of smaller organizations um, that crop up. And, and the funny thing about cable is that the cable suppliers generally, uh, generally have compacts. So uh, in my area, we have Service Electric, which is a very local, locally owned uh, cable company. It's, it's only found in this area. And then we have Comcast Xfinity. If you have Service Electric, you have a much lower bill. You can't get nearly the amount of channels. Your internet speed isn't quite as good. Um, but a, a lot of people really enjoy Service Electric. I personally don't. I don't like Service Electric, but I have Comcast. A lot of people complain about Comcast because Comcast is ridiculously expensive. And, and it is. Uh, no lie, it is stupid expensive. However, they offer some of the fastest internet speeds and because they're a giant corporation, um, I get all the channels. There's a, there's a couple that I don't get that really bum me out. Um, ones that I wish I had that I, in fact, I used to have that I don't because I'm a weirdo and I like watching European racing sports and owning those channels were part of the reason I was excited to have Comcast in the beginning. But that said, um, you really don't have a choice. You, you don't you if you live in an area that Comcast services and you don't have uh, Verizon, which is often the case, you don't have the option of switching over to anybody. Your your options are limited to satellite or the network laid in place. And and some of it's really bad um, down Philadelphia way. It's all Comcast. There's no competition. There's some Fios, some Verizon Fios competition. And I've heard mixed results about Fios, I think, because they do about the same thing. Uh, in my area, we don't have Verizon Fios. We have a company called Windstream. Windstream does not offer high-speed internet. They offer DSL. And DSL is very ancient um, technology. It is fiber optic, but it's fiber optic via phone jack. Um, and it's just not very good. It's, it's for my needs. I, I could never deliver you this podcast on time um, and surfing the web using Netflix like it. I don't know anybody that has it. It just can't, it can't even support that that level of uh, usage. So it's kind of a waste and it's a shame because that that forces me into Comcast. So whether I like it or not, I'm going to pay some exorbitant amount for Internet because Internet is literally tied into everything that I do. And I'm sure you're the same. Um Social medias aside, like there's just so much I use for business, for the fire company, for for work. I I have to have high speed internet, and I know there's there's been a push. People have talked about that one of the better ways you can elevate poverty is by offering free high speed internet. I'm telling you right now that would be damn near impossible. It would be damn near impossible because. Like I said, uh, the communication lines, if they own their own telephone poles, you would have to rent those. Um, and then you would have to lay the infrastructure. If it was underground infrastructure, you're talking about billions of dollars of, of sending fiber optics through the sewers. 
uh, even on the telephone poles, it is no cheap task. It would cost hundreds of billions of dollars for you to put in a network. And then you would face all types of regulatory stuff. You would have to deal with commissions um, and you'd have to go up against the giants like Comcast who would fight it tooth and nail because they have compacts not to invade other people's uh, areas and, and, you know, those people don't invade theirs. So you would come along and invade their area and you're darn right. They'd use every tool they could to fight back on you. It's, it's one of the darker utilities in all honesty. And and it's a shame because it's communication. You would think communication would be one of those highly protected, very competitive markets, but it's not. It's kind of a, a, a non-starter in conversation. So there you have it. Those are all of your utilities. I can't believe how long I talked on just utilities because I had so much more to get to. Um, but I will. I will. I want to I get real. Just I'm going to ramrod this right through to the next thing uh, and talk about the government. Because I don't think people understand how that works. Um, in America, if you're listening outside of America, I apologize. This part probably won't pertain to you. Although, I think the majority of what I said before would pertain to you. The communication system may be different. You may have laws in your country regarding communications that prohibit monopolies. We're here in America. We almost outright encourage it. So, <laughs> lobbyist. Anyways, the government. Um, there's a couple things that I think people don't quite understand. And it's, it's stuff that you would have thought in civics class they would have gone over, and maybe they did. We were all just collectively asleep. But I hear people talk about, well, you know, I believe in the Constitution. I believe, I believe that we need to follow the Constitution and what the Constitution says is right. I, I, I want to make it very clear. Um, I don't think the vast majority of people have ever read the Constitution in its entirety. So let me just let me expound on what you're trying to say. Um, as briefly as I can, the, the constitution is made up of seven article and each article has multiple sections or in one case, one section. Um, and I know a lot of people know the heading, uh, we, the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. I think you're made to memorize that in school, right? And then I think that's where we just stop reading it altogether. Because if you actually read it, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course, the constitution matters, but the constitution matters only in the way that our government is formed. So I'll expound upon that. Again, I'm summarizing, going quickly over this because I'm 40 minutes in and I want to get this over with, but uh, Article 1, Section 1, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. Big check there, old redneck boy, because we have those. Um... I'm going to miss, I'm going to breeze over all of the sections because honestly, Article 1 has 10 sections, which is the largest section. But basically, it just outlines when you're going to have elections, what the elections are for, 
um, how many senators, how you elect Congress, and big by the way on that, um, most of it, like you vote for a senator and for a House representative, and then they do all the voting for the rest. It wasn't until later that we decided that the people would have a say, probably to our peril, if I'm real honest. Um, getting out of Article 1, we get into Article 2. Article 2 describes executive power. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term be elected as follows. Each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature therefore may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress, but no senator or representative or person holding an office or trust profit under the United States shall be appointed as an elector. Again, that just tells you how we're going to vote in the president. Um, and the only thing that has changed is it used to be that we voted for the senators and the senators that we voted for voted for the president much like thanks big truck school bus whatever it was a grain truck um much like a business would a business would have a board of executives a board of directors and those board of directors would appoint a ceo of the company that was how our company functioned. And then they flipped that on its ass and said, no, 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 no. Um, we have to have an equal, fair way to vote into the president. So they came up with the idea of electoral colleges so that people in their, their districts would vote. That district would count up all the votes. The winner of that small election would go into a larger pool of electoral votes. Um in the state and then ultimately whoever won the state would win all of the electoral votes of that state um and i should say that that's not always the case there are states that have runoffs um or or multiple winners i think maine's one of them it's either maine or new hampshire has multiple winners so they just take up all the districts and whoever wins the district they get a sen they get a representative so it, you can't win the whole state you can't win all of the electoral uh, votes in that state. Um, and that's all outlined in the constitution. I think that may be in that state's constitution, but that's in the constitution. Um, and the whole idea of the electoral colleges, and I really should do an episode just on that is so that you have a say. I've heard multiple times from multiple people of whom I've had respect for say, we need to abolish the electoral colleges. I want to make it duly clear that the day that happens, the moment, if you could get two thirds of Congress to agree to abolish the electoral colleges, thus changing our U.S. Constitution, the day that happens, the day that one vote counts, New York and Los Angeles will vote for the president and you might as well not even bother going to the polls if you live anywhere else because there are enough people collectively living in those two cities to outweigh any other vote especially when you consider the amount of people who don't vote, it would be a mute point. So I know the system is imperfect. I know that there have been multiple cases where somebody has won the popular vote but lost the electoral vote. That is a balancing act that I think is important to a representative republic. And I will stress again, we do not live in a democracy. A democracy is one vote, 
one cause. If we lived in a democracy, you would vote for everything that comes down the line, every bill. And that would mean every time when somebody went in to rename a highway after a fallen soldier, you would have to vote for it. Every time that they wanted to rename a bridge, you would have to vote for it. Every time a bill came down the pike, you would have to vote for it. It would require a level of participation in government that nobody in this country would want. And again, it would be decided by California and New York. In most cases, those two cities would line up. And in those cases, that's what would happen. So, of course, for, for things that came up on the ballot in those areas, they would get the very best. And if you lived in Billings, Montana, well, fuck you, buddy, because you live in Billings, Montana. And that is why our, our government is a representative republic. The idea is that you vote for somebody who shares your same ideals and they represent your wants and needs. That's also why there's more people in the House than there is the Senate. The Senate provides two people from every state, including the, uh, the um, D.C., whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Everybody knows the whole D.C. thing. And, and that's how that works. Uh, moving on with this whole Constitution thing. I'm not going to go over the sections. Uh, Article 3, the judicial powers of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges both of the Supreme and inferior courts shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation, which shall not diminish, be diminished during their continuance in office. I, I, okay, yeah. Sure. I mean, we're following that one, pal. Article 4. Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state, and the Congress may by general law prescribe the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings shall be proved and effective thereof. I don't know that that one's followed too much, uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think the United States is a patchwork of laws, and it makes it complicated to live here. But, yeah. Say la vie. Uh, Article 5. Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution. Okay, I just talked about that. Um, that's how you amend the Constitution. Article 6. All debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. Big point of note, some people may not know, we were a confederation before we were a representative republic. Confederate is not a bad word. The confederacy had bad ideals, but the confederation is a completely different thing. Uh, Article 7, the ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this constitution between the states so ratifying the same. That just says that, you know, the, the original nine uh, were the ones that signed the Constitution, and going forward it was the law of the land. Um, and then it actually has a list of everybody that signed the Constitution. If you are curious, in New York, the signature was Alexander Hamilton. I know that's a hot name. And if you're from Pennsylvania, good old B. Franks put his name to it. Uh, some of the other famous people are James Madison Jr., um, James McHenry out of Maryland, 
If you're from North Carolina, I doubt you know anybody who signed it, um, and certainly nobody else really of big note. So there you have it. That's the Constitution. The Bill of Rights is not the Constitution. The Constitution is not the Bill of Rights. Those are completely different documents. The Bill of Rights outlines not the rights you have, but the rights that you are not allowed to have trampled on by the U.S. federal government. That is right, boys and girls. The Bill of Rights is actually a bill of anti-rights the government has. It's to keep them in check, not to tell you what you can do. Um, So, you know, take that with a grain of salt because that's not followed too well because people don't understand the Bill of Rights. Um, And specifically, this is outlined in the Tenth Amendment the Tenth Amendment, which says the federal government only has those powers delegated in the Constitution. If it isn't listed, it belongs to the states or the people. Therefore, any right you can imagine, any technology we adapt, any advancements we have in society or societal thinking belongs to the people, and that if it isn't outlined in the Constitution, the government has no right to take it away from you. So if we invent um, lightsabers, the government can't go regulate it. That is verbatim what the Tenth Amendment says. It is never followed. Again, people just don't understand that the Bill of Rights isn't a bill of rights you have. It is a bill of rights the government can't take away. It is an anti-rights document. It says to the government, hands off. There are other amendments to the Bill of Rights. I think, you know, um, the, the Slavery Act is in there. The Prohibition Act is in there and then reappealed and so on and so forth. But it is a separate document, not the Constitution. When you say, well, I believe in the Constitution, you're literally just saying you believe in the way we form government, kind of, sort of, the way it's adapted and changed over time. And... I'll be honest, I think it needs to be adapted and changed again. It was the whole point of the document. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote in multiple letters to his friend John Adams and in multiple letters to other people that the generation that founds this country has no right to tell the generation after it how they should run the country and that we should adapt the document to fit the times of the day. And that does mean replacing the way we build government. That does not mean replacing the rights the government can't touch. Boom, mic drop. I win. Thank you very much. So unfortunately, I've run out of time. Um, I wanted to talk about more stuff, but unfortunately, uh, delving into this stuff in in any type of understandable format eats up time, and I'm at an hour. So I'm going to keep this one at an hour. I don't want to go over. I appreciate everybody who listens. I hope you learned something. This may, may not have been the most interesting podcast I've ever done, but... I, I find it interesting, like what the majority of us know about how our everyday lives goes down. Um, I really just skimmed the surface. Honestly, in school, there should be classes on how to do your taxes, what they mean, where they go, um, schools, how schools are found, how they're run, what administration guidelines they have. Um, I could go on about the police department. They have no duty to act or to protect you. Um, Who they actually serve, the fire department, the EMS, like, I think there's so many aspects of life 
that aren't even remotely covered in school, but they affect your everyday to day life. And I think these are these are the big ones. Uh, utilities in particular. It's funny how little people know about their utilities um, or their government or or how elections work or I don't know. Um, of course, you can go look up all of this stuff. You can go read the Constitution verbatim by yourself online. They're all found in the archives. Um, you can look up your electrical supplier. You can change what power grid. Uh, I'm sorry, you can't change the grid. You can change your supplier. Um, and if you own a well or have city water, you know a little bit more about it, probably to some disgusting end. Um, you probably didn't need to know that everything you drink, somebody has already drank and disposed of multiple times, but that's, that's, uh, that's how we live. That's how we do it, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks for your time again, and I'll be back at it with another fun one. Uh, I think my next podcast is going to be super fun, so stick around. Thank you. Have a great week. Children waiting for the day they feel good. Happy birthday, happy birthday Made you feel like that was every child Sit and listen, sit and listen Went to school and I was very nervous No one knew me, no one knew me Hello teacher, tell me what's my lesson Look right through me, look right through me And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had And I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take When people run in circles, it's a very, very 